Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. On this week's show, we shine the spotlight on eight stocks in total. CSL, Altium, BHP, Telstra, Newix, and Centuria Industrial REIT, as well as a couple of mystery stocks that our experts will throw in. Now, looking at these stocks, we have Julia Lee from Berman Invest, who will look at these stocks and pass judgment and give us her favourite stock that she's buying right now for her fund. Adam Dawes from Sean Partners will give his views on these same stocks as well. And then Mike Gable from Fairmont Equities will see what the charts are saying about these companies' uh, futures. And Mike will throw in a company he likes right now based on the charts. Finally, Paul Rickard looks at ethical funds at a time when the world is getting really serious about ESG, which is the ethical, social and governance attitudes of the companies we invest in. But how do these ethical funds actually perform? Paul will give us the update on that. So let's kick off with Julia Lee from Berman Invest. Well, joining me now, as she always does at this time, is Julia Lee from Berman Invest. Hi, Julia. Hi, Pete. Great hey, to be Julia, here. Julia, we've got a few stocks I tossed you away, and you've got a mystery stock that you like. I think I'd describe it as your love child stock, the one you're in love with at the moment and you're buying. So we'll save that one to last. Let's kick off with the CIP, Centuria Investment REIT. Um, what do you think? Industrial REIT. I mean, looking at the specs of this one, it, it, it looks really good. I mean, industrial property has tailwinds at the moment. The three largest tenants are, are tenants like Telstra, Arnott's and Woolworths. Um, and, you know, industrial property has been growing. The only thing here, I think, is that the property trust sector has been under pressure. We have a look at the property trust sector. It's down 4% in the year to date. And a lot of those property trusts have been falling. I mean, if we have a look at Charter Hall shares, that's down 20%. Waypoint is down 12%. And even Goodman Group, which is the darling of the sector, is down 11% in 2021. And the reason for that, Pete, is really because of what's happening in terms of long-term bond yields. We're seeing long-term bond yields rising, and that's having a negative impact on those interest rate-sensitive sectors like the property trusts. So while central industrial property does look interesting, because of bond yields, I'd say I'd be pretty neutral on this at the moment. Having said that, if we have a look at its net tangible asset backing, it's at $2.99. So if it was to dip significant, significantly below that, 5% below that, then I would be a buyer because that would signal that it's very cheap. But at the moment, the rising bond yields is a headwind for all retail investment uh, trusts, except for those, of course, exposed to shopping centres, which are one of the few real estate investment trust areas rising mm. this year, where we have seen stocks like Essentia, Stockland rising on that reopening Okay, trade. let's go to BHP. BHP has pulled back a bit um, ever since it traded ex-dividend. Um, we've also seen the same from the likes of Fortescue as well as Rio Tinto. And one of the things that we have seen is uh, iron ore pressures pulling back from those record prices. What we've seen in China is that they have closed down the main steel-making city for four days because of really bad pollution. And that's impacting on the short-term pricing at the moment. Having said that, I'm very positive on the second half of the year. I think that China's still aiming to grow up more than 6%. We saw some numbers coming out of China. 
and industrial production retail sales were much higher than expected and were actually accelerating from the December levels. So China's still looking relatively healthy. And of course, the rest of the world is going to play catch up once those vaccines are roll out and it's business back okay, to Okay, let's go to uh, Telstra. Now, I know you and I liked it when it was around $2.75, $2.80. Uh, struggling a bit at these levels. What do you reckon? Yeah, I still like Telstra at these levels. I think it's worth at least $3.80. And I think the the way to think about Telstra at the moment is, is all the bad news priced in? Has earnings bottomed out and will it improve from this point forth? And I think the answer is yes. Through COVID-19, we did see sections of its business being impacted negatively. We, of course, couldn't travel, so global uh, roaming was impacted negatively. But in September, they saw a hike to their mobile rates, and that should be a positive. And then, of course, uh, looking to sell off those exchange towers as well to monetize some of the assets that it owns. So that should be a positive for shareholders as well. So I think it's trading around about 310, 315 at the moment. I do think Telstra shares are worth more around the $3.80 okay. mark. And importantly, I think earnings have bottomed. And in the second half, we'll see more of a normalization in terms of earnings. I think one of the positive things that came out, out of Telstra's half year results is that we did see things going backwards, but they did keep their dividend flat. And I think that's a sign of confidence that we're going to see a bounce back. Okay, in the I half. was plump, uh, tipping three dollars fifty, but I'm really happy you're going for three eighty. Let's go to Newix now, and the analysts reckon about eighty five percent rise on on Newix. It's gone up enormously, and then it fell enormously. <laughs> What's your current position on Newix NXL? Sure. I um, think one of the things I love about the market is that there's overreaction on the upside and mm. the downside. And the half-year numbers for Newix, which was a maiden result, were disappointing. And the market simply punished this company. In fact, the share price fell below the IPO price of $5.31, even though Newix kept its full-year forecast the same, which to me signals that it's quite confident in its second half pipeline that things are going to bounce back relatively strongly. So look, I think in the second half, we will see things bouncing back strongly. We have a look at what Newix does. It looks at uh, sifting through a huge amount of data using things like artificial intelligence. And it's used by areas like um, the ATO, ASIC, um, the federal police to try and investigate huge amounts of, of data. So look, I'd expect earnings for this particular company to grow around about 10 to 15% a year. I think the sell-off has been overdone, which means I think there's still opportunities at okay, these levels. Okay, let's go to Altium next. Sure. Altium is all around uh, printed circuit boards and the software design of um, the, the software to design those printed circuit, electric circuit boards. And of course, these are used in all the things electronics that we know, um, and it's used to connect different electronic parts. I think the main concern with Altium for me is the margins. Margins have been declining. And look, Altium does have a three-year turnaround plan to try and get those margins back up. But I think in the short term, those margins are going to come under pressure, which means that the share price is also at risk of coming under pressure here. So look, I'm neutral on Altium. It's an area that I think will continue to grow, but I think importantly, we need to see a stabilization in those margins at a much higher level. And of course, the disappointing part of Altium's results were those margins. So look, they have a three year turnaround, but a lot can happen in three years. So I'm probably a little bit cautious, but rated neutral on Altium. CSL. 
Um, the key for uh, shareholders now is uh, whether earnings has, has bottomed out in terms of CSL. Of course, at the heart of CSL's business is its blood plasma business. And because of COVID-19, they haven't been able to collect blood. Over in the US, they used to pay people about $700 um, for their blood. Now I think they've increased that to $800. But the other thing to remember with CSL is there's around about a nine-month lead time from collecting that blood to selling that blood and somebody using that blood. So that means that, look, collections are still not back to normal. Yes, we are seeing vaccines being rolled out in the US and over the next six months, things will get back to normal. But because of that nine month lead time, it means there's likely to still be disruptions to his, its business in the next financial year. Having said that, this is a reopening trade and if you have a more than two year time frame, well, you'd expect that it will be business back to usual in around about two years as hospitals go back to their normal business. We travel, we go have accidents as per normal as cars are on the road. So CSL, I think, really is a reopening trade with a bit of a lag because of that nine-month lag from collecting the blood to... Okay, the on the subject of reopening, you're flying high with your preferred stock. Oh, I yeah. like Qantas. Travel at the moment, I think, is a real world spring because you know we're itching to go on holidays i'd love to go on holidays pete and so when i think things normalize there will be a lot of spending in terms of holidays and if we're all spending money on holidays at one time well prices will go up and that means nice margins for our travel companies and travel related companies Qantas, I think, gets an extra boost because of the federal government subsidies that have been announced to the travel space, which means that I think travel is um, uh, going to be actually higher than the pre-COVID-19 levels. There's already, I think, travel demand that's like a spring and then add in those federal government subsidies and it's party time at um, Qantas. The other thing is that it is in the midst of a three-year cost-cutting program. So that's just an added bonus for shareholders at a time when demand is bouncing back strongly, that it's looking at being lean and mean as well. So look, Qantas still a buy at these levels. It's still um, quite a, a substantial amount below those pre-COVID-19 levels. And I think it's going to do great over the yeah, next so 18 months. When you months. think about it, they have less competition from foreign airlines because people are flying domestically and the people who want to go to Europe are going to Port Douglas or Cable Beach or whatever, places they haven't been to before because they've been flying overseas. So it probably is really good for Qantas. You're absolutely right. Julia, thanks for joining us as always. Talk to you next week. Thanks, Pete. Well, joining us now is Adam Dawes from Shore and Partners. Adam, how are you? Really well, thanks, Peter. Very yourself? good, mate. Now, the market did sneak up after being in the red for most of the day. Um, what's your take on this relationship between the bond market and selling off tech stocks? Well, look, the bond market we always know is seems to be where the sort of the smarter money potentially might go. Mm. However, equity markets do get concerned when bond markets start to rally because they probably think that we don't know something or bonds know something about the something else that we don't know about. So I think the relationship is has always been a, a tough one because if bonds are starting to rally equity, that means equity markets potentially should come back. But I really don't understand this whole tech sell-off. I, I get the idea of there needs to be some value and the market's looking for those kind of value stocks. 
I get that. I understand that. However, you know, a lot of these tech stocks have rallied hard coming out of COVID because of the numbers that previously happened. Markets now looking for where the value is. But I don't get or why we're afraid of inflation. I don't understand why we're worried about these things because that is what happens when normally when markets recover, you get a little bit of inflation. You start to get interest rates mm. starting to rise and this is a normal part of a recovery cycle. Yeah. So I'm just a bit scared. I think the market's probably probably a little bit too skittish at the moment and just needs to calm yeah. down a little bit. It just bit. seems to me that you know, we'd have to have a significant rise in interest rates before it was really worrying for a company. Uh, and mm. by the way, rising interest rates could also coincide with massively high sales and really big profits that would you know, counter any slight rise in interest rates. Agree, agree. And you know, if that's a normal part of what happens in a recovery, fantastic, let's bring it on. We want this market to recover, we want the world to recover, mm. and we go through another cycle. And maybe that's it. Maybe it's just part of that intracycle cycle of a larger cycle that everyone's just going to have to get yeah, used to. For sure. Let's. Go, I've asked you to look at a f few stocks. The first one is the Centuria Investment REIT CIP. The, anal the analysts yeah. think there's 12.8 percent upside of a company like this. What do you think? Yeah. Look, I think that they've certainly got a lot more capacity on the upside to this one. And Centuria Industrial REITs look, it's a really good one. I like the ch uh, the Charter Hall Long Whale REIT also. Yep. Um, the whale read offers a little bit of a better bond sort of proxy exposure, which we're just talking about bonds. While I think Centuria Industrial Read offers real, uh, a really good exposure to industrial property that has some really solid tailwinds. Now, industrial property is all about those moving packages backwards and yeah. forwards. Uh, you know, all of these kinds of things where we are doing more shopping online, we are doing that kind of stuff. And there's a really big group called the Milestone Logistics Group that is about to IPO. And that's going to give, I think, Century a bit of a run for its money going forward. But I think there's some significant upside relative to their book value at the moment. And I think that their debt capacity is sitting at 30 40% target. I think that's fine. The gearing's looking good. So, yeah, I, I really like this one. I think it's got a lot of tailwinds at okay. the moment. BHP, now the analysts don't think 0.2%. I must admit, I thought around $40 was going where it's going to max out, but it's kept going up. And I hang on to my BHP just for, for the dividends, but I'm getting the double, the double uh, whammy. Do you think there's more upside than BHP and Rio? Well, you're right. I mean, every time it got to 40 bucks over the last 20 years, it would get smacked mm. down. You know, we had buy, you know, we had the buybacks of 42 a couple of years, well, many mm. years ago now for those people at home that have got a good mm. memory. But um, yeah, like BHP is definitely every time it hit 40, 42 dollars always came back. I think this time, obviously, we're seeing iron ore price at all time highs of 140, 160 dollars. Mm. That's definitely helped BHP. I think the dividend was a fantastic dividend and people are looking for income at the moment. So there was extra buying going into that. I think it's sort of around that sort of 48, 50. I mean, coming back a little bit now, I think there's probably no real reason for the traders to hold this stock. I don't think that you need to have it. But for investors like you and I, I'm not going to be selling it. And I think it's going to continue to go on. So I really like it. And then they've got the copper story, which is all playing into their sure. hand as well. So it's, there's some good head, uh, good uh, head tailwinds, yeah. not headwinds, tailwinds for yeah. BHP. And there's never been a boom like this, you know, in our lifetime. I think what we're going to see six or seven percent growth in the US. So, yeah, I guess yeah. go to Telstra now. Analysts think fourteen point one percent upside. What do you think? 
You know, we had Telstra in two weeks ago and it was the first time in five years that they actually came out with, we think we're going to be profitable this mm. year. We, we are actually going to get some numbers that are actually looking good. And they all walked in with a little bit of a skip in their step. It's not about what they say. It's about how they look yeah. sometimes. And they actually walked in with a bit of a skip in their step. I think people are right. I think we've we've seen the cycle of the downward uh, downward move on, on Telstra. I think that they have got obviously got the market power, but also that dividend, I think, is going to rise. I think for one now that they are going to start to sort of hive off some of their businesses. So the telecom towers, they'll start to move. Uh, they'll simplify the business a little bit. And I think that's exactly what they need to do. It's been too big for too long, doing too many things. Um, but I was really impressed two weeks ago. I've started to buy some Telstra down here. I think it's a buy. Okay, let's go to the Newix. NXL was a darling of the market with a fantastic uh, uh, reaction to its IPO. Then it really went for a big slide. Uh, analysts think about 85% upside. What do you think? Well, they have to probably. They're all long <laughs> at 11 bucks or something, aren't they? <laughs> so... Uh, look, uh, look. I think Newix is an interesting one because it's data analytics, and I think that's the biggest thing with this one, is is that um, they have some really good structural growth in data forensics, and that's driven by litigation trends, surging data usage, corporate surveillance needs, those kinds yeah. of things. Newix fits in beautifully with that, and they've got a really good competitive advantage that goes across some of their competitors, and they can do some absolutely some amazing things with some of their data that they've got. However, I think that the stock had been over uh, overbought up there at a sort of $11 plus, and I think it was definitely oversold down here at $5, $6. So I think there's something there. I, I, I think the second half is going to be quite good for these guys. Um, I think we you start nibbling down here. It's obviously had its run. There's a bit of digestion going on. So any kind of price rise, I think you're going to see some selling off going forward. But the stock has really moved it does have the ability to move into a software as a service and expand into new verticals. So I really sort of like that. But really, um, at the end of the day, my rule is if it does go above IPO, but then dips down below and then comes back again around that IPO price, it's a buy. So I'd happily dip my toe in the water on Newix here. Okay, let's go to Altium, A-L-U. Once again, analyst positive, 29%, they reckon. Yeah, so I'm a little bit cautious of 2021 without him. Fantastic business, don't get me wrong here. Fantastic business. But I, I think for the remainder of 2021, I'm a little bit cautious. I, despite, obviously, they're, they're discounting a little bit less and they've increased their prices. But a weaker US dollar is not going to help or is, is, is sorry, is going to help them, but a stronger Aussie dollar is not. And I think that's why we're coming a little bit unstuck here in the healthcare sector and as well as some of these US denominated tech businesses here in Australia is that our Aussie dollar at 77, 78 potentially can go a little bit higher. I think that's going to put a little bit of a, um, a down, downward negative fall on their revenue as well as uh, the way the market is going to look at this one. I expect, obviously, that uh, our team is going to do well with the vaccine rollouts, all of that kind of stuff, and faster than expected to monetize some of their cloud platform businesses. And I think that is something where I'm just cautious. I think this is a 2022 story, to be honest, okay. Peter. And I think you've got time to wait on this one until everybody's, all the negative guys are out there, the stock moves in a sideways direction, and then can move higher from there. So I'm, I, I'm happy to sit back for the next three to six months and see how this okay, one goes. Okay, finally, CSL. Well, 
it's been hit pretty hard, hasn't it? We all love it, but it's been pretty hit, hit pretty hard. Uh, again, it's an Aussie dollar story. So as the, as the Aussie dollar continues to climb, CSL is going to have a little bit harder time to go for them. Um, we had CSL in about a week and a half ago. Um, we see them as a really good um, defensive business and healthcare has probably one of the best TSRs, which is the total shareholder return. So this is the healthcare sector, sector as one of the best TSRs in the market at the moment. So certainly CSL is up there. Just seems to trade in a bit of a sideways pattern here and sort of broke that 275 and sort of now coming down a little bit. So look, I, I think, you know, the only thing that I noticed about CSL was when they've got blood collection areas, where if you've got COVID, no one's going to, it's going to take time for those blood collection deposits to come back in. And so we've probably got a six month lag as to those, that collection opening up and then people coming back in and then hence revenue for CSL. Mm. Again, I like this business. I think it's great. Aussie dollars is probably, if it starts to come off, you buy this thing. But look, it's one of our best blue chips on the market. So it's a buy. Thanks for joining us on the program, mate. Talk to you in a couple of weeks' time. Okay, take care. This episode was brought to you by WCM Investment Management, a California-based global equities manager with an outstanding long-term track record. This chart shows the significant outperformance of WCM's quality global growth strategy over the past one year, three years, five years, 10 years, and since its inception. Investors can access the strategy via the ASX with their choice of an exchange-traded managed fund, WCMQ, or a listed investment company, WQG. Well, I'm catching up with Mark Gable from Fairmont Equities, and Mike looks at uh, a lot of the stocks that our subscribers and viewers are interested in, uh, and we get the technical outlook for where these companies are heading. Good to see you, Michael. Thanks, Peter. So, mate, let's kick off with uh, BHP, first of all. Mm. Uh, a lot of people have been inquiring with us. Uh, I must admit, when it was around 38, 39, I wasn't recommending people to buy. I was hold, definitely hold. I was happy with yeah. the, the dividend outlook, but it's kept going up. What's the, um, the chart saying? It looks pretty positive from here. It does, it does. So, I mean, I've, you know, as, as you know, or as our viewers know, I've been positive on commodities, uh, commodity stocks for, hmm. um, you know, for a while now, for several months. Um, BHP's trading very well. So the chart that we have on the screen here is a monthly chart. So what I wanted to show everyone was the fact that if you look back far enough, you could see that what it's done is it's, there has been a bit of a lid um, in the share price around that sort of $42, 43 Yeah, that's where um, I was a bit resistant on saying, yeah. you know, that looks pretty good to me, but go on. Yeah, and yeah. what it's finally done, as we can see, is mm. it's popped through that. Um, it did so in January, which is a positive sign. End of January looked a little bit precarious, but mm. um, now it's kicking on. So although shorter term, it looks like it's made a lot of headway, when you zoom out and look at the monthly chart, mm. you could see that for it to break a level that's been quite significant for, let's say, 14 years or whatever it is, mm. I mean, that, that should lead to quite a sustained rally. So the fact that it's gone up for a couple of months, I think is only the start of it. Um, yeah, look, I think BHP's got a lot further to yeah. go. And one thing you can throw into the mix to maybe explain this is in all the time, even when we went back 20 years, we're not going to get see the growth that we're going to see 
this year and next year as a consequence mm. of the stimulus that's followed the coronavirus. So it makes sense that if this company's going to make a, an all-time yep. record high on share price, it's going to be in the context of unbelievable growth. Yeah, exactly. And I guess the one caveat that we do have to mention is that, you know, resource stocks are cyclical. So yeah. let's not fall in love with it and think that Forever. we're going to hold it for five years because, yeah. you know, the run might be over in seven months' time. Yeah. It might be two years' time. We just don't well, know. When Brazil but and Vale can, can get yeah. back to normal production, there might be a supply reason to bring it down, but exactly. they still seem to be in a fair bit of trouble over there in Brazil. Yeah, exactly. But for the moment, the momentum's there. Um, and look, if you can get BHP on a dip, I think it's worthwhile. Yeah, okay. Let's go to the next one now. This is CIP. Not a lot of people know this one, but mm. it's Centuria's industrial REIT, isn't it? Yep. Um, and I, I should say that uh, BHP, the analysts only think there's 0.2% upside in those confidence you. Yeah. Uh, but CIP, I think, is about a 12.8% upside. Is the chart justifying that positivity? Um, potentially. So, look, I think industrial property is a, a good space to be in. As, yeah. as we know, Goodman Group's done, done really well mm. since the, um, the COVID lows. Um, CIP, what I'm trying to highlight here is the tightening of the range. And okay. I guess, I, I suppose I come back to the same sort of chart patterns each time I, I look to buy something. And that's um, a share price range, which starts to tighten up, volatility starts to drop off. And then eventually uh, you get a breakout. Hopefully it's in the direction you want. Yeah. You follow it, you get a decent move. Hmm. So here we could see since the June high, um, it hasn't really gone anywhere, but there is a clearly defined range and mm. it is starting to tighten up a bit. And look, maybe it breaks out in the next few weeks, maybe mm. it takes a few more months. But I think if you like CIP, look, don't rush into it. Mm. Um, there's, there's probably other opportunities elsewhere, mm. but keep an eye on it. Um, that top diagonal blue line, all you need to see is a proper push through that. And that'll tell you that it's game on, the money's flowing in yeah. uh, and you can get a bit of a decent And rally. what's interesting, uh, Michael, is that these industrial rates did well when people start to work out, everyone's buying online yeah. and therefore the warehouses that stock them are going to do very well. Mm. But this was a, well, a $3 semi-stock before the coronavirus. Yeah. Now, I would say the demand for their space is actually bigger now mm. as a consequence of the coronavirus and the fact that there's a whole lot of people out there who never bought online who are buying online now. Even if they yeah. buy less than they did during the coronavirus times, their new consumers and yep. customers for these organisations. So exactly. I think the looking at that also, we tend to be trying to go up, even though it's on a, on a, a, a decreasing trend, mm. the lows don't seem to be as as, uh, as scary, but maybe I'm That's, being wishful. Yeah, look, look, too early. Um, I don't want to rush into things, no. but one to keep an eye on. Yeah, okay. Next one, a lot of people have in their portfolios or mm. maybe think they should have, namely Telstra, T-L-S. Yep. So look, Telstra is one of those companies which, yeah, never been a fan of. No. Um, and I mean, we can see what I've tried to show here is the weekly chart going back several years, and we can see it peaked in 2015, and it's trading at less than half um, where it was then. So it's another example of, you know, investors unfortunately they chase the yield, and they end up losing more from. Um, the capital than, than what they get from the dividends. So look, long-term downtrend, it hasn't gone any lower than, the, than that low in 2018, but what I've tried to highlight here with those arrows on the right-hand side is mm. the fact that it is starting to form these lower, uh, lower highs. So yeah. every time it rallies, we do see some selling. So not very compelling for me. Look, maybe, yeah, 
may, maybe at some point it gets going and there's you know, a bit of share price. I'm expecting it to go through the roof. No, I mean, if you think about the business, their earnings growth, um, I think the only positive is, okay, maybe if they split up part of the business, you might unlock a bit of value. Yeah. But, I mean, how much can you really unlock? I mean, you look at that chart, you could see that, again, selling every time it tries to rally. So I just think that okay. it's not, you don't need to be there. I think a lot of people who watch this show might have got in when Julia and myself thought around 275, 280 was a, a, a reasonable time to get mm. in. And I think it got up to about 320 or something. Yeah, like we've that. made some good money if yeah, you did that. Yeah. But, but, but um, it's just, uh, a lot, I think a lot of people would love to see it make it 350, but yeah. looking at that, it might, might be a hard press to do so, unless yeah. there is a change of uh, information that we haven't got in the market right now. Yep. Let's go to the next one. This is an interesting one, Newex. Uh, mm. It was unbelievable, it's NXL. It was doing unbelievably well, and then it smashed with all the tech stocks. But I've got to say, the analysts think there's 85.3% upside. Now, yeah. what's the chart telling you, Michael? Um, as we could see, it's, it's a recent listing, so there's not too much to go off. But normally with these IPOs, um, sometimes you do see a bit of selling coming straight away because people have picked up um, the shares pre-IPO and they're, yeah. you know, they're looking to exit. Yeah. So Very normally, unloyal people who are probably exactly. looked after by the, the founders, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, so look, I think the, the way to play these is just if you're still sitting on the sidelines, I think you just wait. You just let this sort of flow through. You let all the... Um, you know, selling happen and let, let them do what they need to do and, and eventually what you might find with these IPOs, sort of six to 12 months in, you might get a bit of a, a, bit of a base forming where um, yeah, the, um, yeah, the, the quick sellers are gone right, and, yeah. and hopefully there's a, there's a bit of a base and you could step in. So I think it's early days. Yeah. I mean, for me, I couldn't be buying it just yet. Obviously, if it's a great business, I think you just keep an eye on it and we just hopefully see it, you know, plateau for a while and um, you know, and then it sort so of gets you're saying, well, let's see if it plateaus around this $5 mark and yeah. with an inclination to be going up more than, than down. And that could be the starting point. And I often say, Michael, I don't know what you, what you think. Mm. You know, when you get a stock like this that once was what, around 11 nearly, to, uh, nearly $12, but I think intraday might hit 12 But the bottom line is, you said then, it is a good business. Um, you, even if you miss the first 5% of an upside, yeah. it's probably... Uh, you're probably worth while waiting to see the market take it up five percent before you start getting. Yeah, ex exactly. Um, and I mean, we've got um, you know, there's a lot happening in the market at the moment with you know bond yields and you know this debate around whether there's a rotation from you know growth to value and and, and so on, and mm. is it going to stick or not? So I think we just let it play out because at the end of the day. I can give an opinion on what I think might happen, but I don't know what's going to happen no, with, with the bond yields and, yeah. and all that. So I think we just wait and let the dust settle and, and hopefully it ends up like an end of 2018 story where we got a little bit worried about nothing yeah. and then things kick on. And, yeah, and yeah. the bottom line is your strength is you, it, when you've got the history, you can actually make some suggestions around mm. that history, but there's not enough history there. This yep. one. Let's go to the next one. Now, this is James Hardy. Mm -hmm. um, um, JHX. So, what do you see in this company? Looks pretty good for my amateur point of view when it comes to um, tech analysis. Yeah, so look, long term trend since the March lows um, eased off at, um, since it peaked in November and that's starting to, to kick on again. So, look, I think this is one that is just resuming an uptrend and mm. um, it actually looks like a, a good buying opportunity here. Okay. Let's go on to the next one now. Um, if my wonderful producer, there he is, CSL. 
Now, this is the way, well, yeah, you, you and I both would agree, one of the best companies in the world, yeah. but it's having a few challenges at the moment. Are mm. those challenges over yet? So what I thought I'd show here is a weekly chart going back five years. And what I've indicated with the arrows is the left-hand arrow is the March low mm -hmm. um, during COVID. Yeah. And obviously CSL's back at that level. So mm -hmm. I think a lot of people have picked up on the fact that it's back at those, those COVID lows, which mm -hmm. um, is a potential opportunity. We can call that potentially a double bottom in an uptrend, which is very bullish. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of reason that CSL could rally from here. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing to bear in mind is I mentioned earlier that 2018 um, sort of hissy fit the market market had yeah. because of rising bond yields. And, and also the, the China trade war, yep. Trump, and, and carrying on, yeah. So, so if we recall back to the end of 2018, and we can see in the middle of the chart here, mm. CSL lost about 26% um, of its share price because yeah. the market was worried about um, bond yields going up. Mm. And as we know, I think it was around Christmas Eve, we we heard from the US that no bond yields were not Jerome, going up. Uh, interest rates Powell were... was basically headlocked by Donald Trump, wasn't yeah, it? Come out yeah, exactly. Say, no, no, interest rates aren't going to rise. So when the market knew that yields, um, interest rates were not going up, yeah. um, we could see that CSL actually rallied 50% during 2019. So similar situation here. From peak to trough, CSL's lost about 26%. Mm. It's at the March lows. If we realise that bond yields are not heading up, uh, at a great rate of knots, yeah. then you might get a repeat of 2019. Yeah. Otherwise, CSL might just have a bit of bit more so weakness. So even. again, I don't know what's going to happen over um, the next sort of few weeks, few months in terms of yields and, and all that, but definitely one worth keeping an eye on because it's back at those March lows. And if we do realise that the yields are not going to climb, mm. um, CSL could give you a bit of a bit of a return. So we'll be watching the bond market very closely. Do we have one for uh, uh, Macquarie? This is your favourite, isn't it? Yep. Why so, do you like it? So look, um, it's a very interesting chart, this one, and um, it's one that we've been picking up again recently. Um, what I like about the way uh, Macquarie's trading is the way that um, price action's just stepping on top of each on top of itself, so mm. sort of like a set of stairs. So what I've tried to indicate here in the middle of the chart, um, from November to about um, January, February, we had this tight trading range. It did break down briefly, looked very negative, but then they gave the market a trading update. Mm. So the market was expecting- So the market was basically wrong. But <laughs> yep. Yeah, and yeah. just, you know, so that's the way it is. So the market was, um, well, previously Macquarie guided for um, a decrease in, in earnings growth and they came in and said, okay, well, we're actually expecting about five to 10% from memory. So the shares shot up, um, consolidated on top of that initial trading range. Mm. And then we can see in the last few days, it's popped up again. Right so yep. very nice um, sort of, you know, stepping, stepping up of the price range. Mm. Um, and look, in the last few days, I've been buying more Macquarie. So look, this is my pick for the moment. I think there's further upside in Macquarie here. And, and I think over the next few months, you'll see it continue to kick on to new yeah. highs. The next thing we'll be asking is when will Macquarie break 200, mate, the way it's going. Yeah. Uh, did I ask you about Altium? I don't know if I did. Yep. I did. Okay, yep. so, so we must have the slide there for Altium. So with, yeah, so with Altium, what's interesting is that the share price is all the way back down to those March lows. Mm. Um, so sort of like CSL, it's retesting those lows. Um, I can see over the last few weeks, it's been um, getting a bit of buying pressure um, every time it, you know, heads down towards where it was in March. So that is a positive, but again, 
you know, in the last sort of several months, we do clearly have a bit of a downtrend. So mm. I think it's still too early to buy a stock like Altium and mm. it's very susceptible to what's happening with bond yields. So and it's a tech stock as well. And yeah, every time the bond reasons. yields go up, really undoubted tech stocks go mm. down. Yeah, that's, that's right. So look, at the moment, it seems to be trying to find some sort of support. Mm. Um, at best, it maybe spends a few months um, showing us that there is support here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, I think it's too early. Look, it could bounce from here, as I said, near the March lows, but mm. for me, it's just a little bit too early. Before we wrap up, and this is a question without notice, Michael, but I know you only just look at the, the technical um, analysis of a company. I've been thinking that there, there are companies that have been lumped in the tech sector, mm. which aren't classic tech sector. Now, Altium is, that's why I said, it's an undoubted tech company. It's so software, it needs big companies to invest in it. You know, we know that the Silicon Valley problems haven't been great for, for Altium and because other big companies weren't actually, you know. But there are some tech stocks which aren't really, like Apple's not really mm. as much a tech stock it, it yep. makes stuff, it sells stuff. Yeah. It's a retail stock really, isn't it? Yeah. But it gets lumped in the tech thing. Do you think there will be some kind of rationalisation? And I'm thinking like zero. Zero really is a business stock. Mm. And as business gets better, I'm kind of assuming a lot of CFOs and business owners say, oh yeah, it's about time I bought some stuff. But during the coronavirus period, I don't think there was a yeah. real rush to buy that sort of stuff unless it was labour replacing technology. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I suppose you've got I mean, the, the company that springs to mind is, is Tesla. And I mean, that's, yeah. you know, is it a manufacturer? It's a, yeah, it's a car um, maker. Whereas, yeah. whereas a company like Xero, yeah. um, obviously they have their software. Mm. And I, I, just, I just picture these, I suppose the classic tech, tech company is a business that, you know, the co most of the costs are fixed. Mm. And to increase um, their revenue, they mm. don't really have to increase their costs. They just, yeah. just add all these extra, yeah. Um, you know, people Tesla's or, a better example, yeah, you're right on. Yeah, so you know, when you compare that to someone, uh, a company like, like Tesla, they need to churn out more cars, whereas Xero mm. just doesn't have to do anything extra. They just sign up a few more extra people and they yeah. don't have to increase their cost base. So yeah. I think it comes back to, you know, for the extra incremental increase in revenue, how much do you have to increase your costs? And, mm. you know, you get a different, different yeah. story there. And that's why I kind of think that the reopening of economies will make a lot of mm. business owners and CFOs, who often say no to spending money, uh, yeah. to start thinking, well, maybe you know, the economy's booming. Mm. I, I think that that's going to be the case over the course of um, 2021 and 2022. I think those sort of companies may well have the upside that uh, yeah. might surprise many of us. Michael, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Mike Gable uh, from Fairmont Equities. This is Mike Gable from Fairmont Equities. My next guest is Paul Rickard from the Switzer Report. And Paul's done a bit of homework on ethical funds, which have actually had a very good track record, you know, at least reaching back the past decade. But he reckons he's got some unusual or some unique observations. Paul? Yeah, they have had a pretty good record, Peter, although I think last year's been a bit tough for some of the funds. I might come back to this and just tell you about what sparked my interest in, yeah, go. in looking at ethical funds again, because they are on the rise. And uh, last week, um, Beta Shares launched uh, a new ethical fund under the code of ERTH, which is about uh, climate change and... Uh, yeah, Earth. They're good at their names, aren't they? <laughs> they Earth. are excellent on the four four-letter names yeah. for the uh, ASX code. Uh, and uh, look, 
not disputing what, what this fund is going to do. I looked at the holdings of the fund and uh, coming in in third place was Zoom, the communications company. Okay. And I was wondering how does Zoom qualify in as terms of... As an ethical of, company, yeah. Well, as in terms of climate change, and I guess, um, you know, it, uh, I, I, fewer people are travelling and we're more yeah. using video conferencing. But I think it, it does highlight you do need to look sort of under the bonnet of some of these ethical funds. And that's mm. really what my research sort of found out. I mm. looked at the, the, four, uh, the, the leading four funds trading on the ASX. These are, are listed ETFs. And really, there's a great deal of, deal of variability. What, mm. what's, what's interesting, Peter, is that they, they sort of have a two-step process, and they're all based on usually some sort of index from a, a recognised provider. But the first step is the so-called negative screeners. I think we can all understand those. The so screening companies that have some negative problem that doesn't fit either ESG or, in this case, um, climate change. Yeah, the, the typical type of things like fossil fuels, alcohol, gambling, tobacco, mm. uh, armaments. There's coal. A whole, yeah, coal. There's a whole lot of negative things. And most of the four funds I looked at uh, have the same negative screeners. Yeah. That, that's the easy bit to understand. The, the positive screeners where they... Uh, in some cases, look at where the company's earning its revenue and say you've got to have at least 20% or 40% coming out of a particular style of industry, mm. or they apply some sort of ESG sort of uh, rating mm. that's been uh, you know, given to them by a certain group, or they look at uh, sort of other factors. They seem to be all over the place and a lot of variability. Let, let me just give you the example. Mm. The, the, the biggest fund in Australia is from BetaShares. It's, it's under, traded under the acronym of FAIR, F-A-I-R, mm. and it's the BetaShares Australian Sustainability uh, mm. Fund. Mm. About $842 million and growing pretty yeah. rapidly. Yeah. Now, that had, when you look at the holdings, uh, they're very different sorts of companies. Their largest holding is actually in ResMed. It's a medical okay. device. It's a sleep apnea product company that we know. Okay. But there aren't any major banks in there and there aren't any resources. In fact, it's, there's only one company out of the current top 10 that, that, that qualifies. So they're really getting down into some of the, mm -hmm. the mid-cap and smaller companies. Right. But I look at some other companies, and, uh, and another one is from uh, Russell. So they have what's under the code of RARI, R-A-R-I. It has a, quite a big holding in Fortescue. Mm -hmm. Another one from Van Ector, which is the Van Ector's MSCI, Australian Sustainability Fund. Its largest holding is in Fortescue Metals. <laughs> Now, now uh, FAIR's got zero, and, and another fund has got its largest holding with about 8% weightings in Fortescue Metals. Some of them have big exposures in the big banks, yeah. and others say, no, no, we, we, we're happy with uh, the regional banks and the insurance companies, but we have no major banks. So, mm. for example, the, the one I mentioned up front, uh, which is FAIR, mm. it has um, regional banks, Suncorp, and Bendigo, but doesn't have any of the four majors yeah. in the fund. So I guess, I guess Bendigo would qualify as a community bank, and they probably don't lend to the big miners. Some of the big four banks have been put offside with ethical funds because they do lend to the miners, particularly coal. Yeah, so there are there are those sort of question marks, mm. but look, it does mean you do need to look pretty carefully because they're very different. Mm. Uh, and uh, the, just looking at the composition of their top 10 and their index breakdown will just show you how, how they've been put together. So yeah. the negative screeners, by and large, the same. Yeah. The positive screeners, uh, which are a lot more subjective, uh, do vary greatly from fund to fund. So that yeah. was the first thing that, uh, mm. that, that sort of made me wake up. And, and, re and, and really the lesson I learned from that was that if you're thinking about investing ethically, mm. have a look at what it invests in and how it got to that decision, yeah. right? Yeah. That's really important. Okay. The, the second was about yeah. performance yeah. because 
You and I have, uh, over the years, had a lot of work to do with some of the, uh, the, the, the there's a Responsible Investment Managers Association, yeah. and we've heard that the story about performance they, they do as well. Mm. In some cases, it's been argued to us they do better yeah, but, but, yeah. than the normal um, equity fund. Well, certainly over the last couple of years, that's not the, not the case. Mm. All of these funds had uh, underperformed in the last 12 months, quite badly, mm. uh, gap of up to about 6%. Uh, and over three years, we're still a little bit behind, and over five years, we're still a little bit behind as well. So mm. the, the gap wasn't quite mm. as big, but and when I say underperformed, I'm comparing it if you just had an investment in the index, the overall ASX 200 okay. itself. So right. comparing you know, the ethical fund there and a normal uh, fund that's investing in all the market, yeah. right? Like as, an ETF. Like an market. ETF, you know, um, iShares, um, mm. you know. Um, and that's a fair way of comparing it, because you're not necessarily saying, they're not giving you a good return because the, the return on the market's been pretty good, but it's just not outperforming. That's what we thought ethical funds were yeah, doing. Yeah, in fact, they're underperforming a little bit. Now, that's, that's data over five years, and maybe if you, you go back over 10 years, it's a different situation. But they have particularly underperformed in the last year, and there's a really pretty easy explanation is yeah. because you've had a great performance from BHP and Rio yeah. and some of the other so-called, you know, the carbon intensive companies yeah. because oil price has gone through the roof, yes. right? Yes. And also you've had a pretty strong performance from the major banks and a lot of them aren't, have, only have a small exposure in the major banks. So when you get sort of the big, big, um, you know, the, the, the big miners, plus the major banks, you throw in Woolworths has done it pretty well as well. Yeah. And that's not, none of them have Woolworths because of their holding in the, um, in, in, in the, in the, in the, business, the yes. hotel and the poker machine yeah, business, yeah. you know, um, that's why they've underperformed. So I, I guess the moral of the story is, is it's great to be an ethical investor, but you do have to look, A, at what you're investing in, and B, I just think, you know, there's a performance trade-off, and, and we want to see how that plays off. Mm. Now, there's probably a better argument for investing overseas than there is locally in ethical, because uh, there's just a bigger pool of companies, Peter, yeah, sure. and arguably better developed, but that's maybe a story for another day. Yeah. One last question, Paul. Do these ethical funds pay a, a reasonable dividend? Yeah, look, they're okay. The mm. market dividend. In fact, one of the funds from um, from Russell, that's Rari, actually sort of accentuates the income side. Mm. So they're paying a pretty good distribution. They've, they've got the worst overall performance, mm. but uh, they've actually got a big income distribution. They've been paying around 6%. Mm. And uh, that's, again, because of the concentration and the style of company they're investing in. So mm. from an income point of view, you get about market. But again, if we just take look back over the last twelve months, the best dividends are also coming out of the out of the miners. So, yeah. it, you know, they're probably just a little bit short. But okay. um, over time, I think you expect that to neutralise out. All right. So you've looked at the funds on the market. What, what are the ones that people should think about? Well, the one I'd probably invest in is is, is the newest fund, but probably with a more established index. That's from Vanguard. It's a code of VETH, which is the Vanguard. Uh, ethically conscious fund. That's so just V E T V E T H. So I think Vanguard and ETH is sort of mm. ETH for ethical. Yeah, so ethical, it gives yeah, you the four letter yeah. acronym VETH. Yeah. You've got to get an acronym that people right. are going to remember. Well, you right? do remember them, Beth. <laughs> like, you know, IOZ is iShares, Oz. Uh, yeah, and I'm yeah. sure BetaShares puts more. No, they're being unkind to BetaShares. They put a lot of thought into their they acronyms. Do. They, they do. They have the best acronyms. I have to. Yeah, we we are, always yeah. say that about BetaShares. Have they got Robo as well? Yeah. Uh, Robo is from ETF Securities, but BetaShares has got some other really yeah, terrific yeah. ones, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, so, Beth from, from Vanguard, uh, management fee of only 0.16%. It's going to track an index. Uh, from uh, which is coming out of uh, FTSE or the FTSE, Financial Times Stock Exchange people. Mm. 
pretty broad-based index. That one's really only a negative screener index. And mm. I think that's probably a little bit safer mm. than maybe some of these positive screeners because you've really got to agree uh, and like what they're saying. Because I, I found it a little hard to, as I said, to understand some of the thinking behind okay. how they were positively screening companies. One last question, and a lot of the viewers might be thinking this. Even if the funds don't perform all that well, but society becomes more enamoured with the idea of ethical funds, the, the very weight of money going into those uh, funds yep. could push up the unit Look, price, couldn't it? Absolutely, and I think that is a long-term risk of investing in, uh, you could argue, new BHP and new Rios. Yeah. It's certainly a long-term risk of investing in any coal company now, <coughs> probably a more medium-term risk. It's why Woolworths, for example, is getting rid of its hotels and poker machine business. And Dan Murphy's uh, will be yep. setting up. Which is largely because of the issue with poker machines. Mm -hmm. So that's why Woolworths is currently excluded. When it does that, the existing Woolworths of you know the um, supermarkets and, uh, and, and Big W, that'll be eligible back for some ethical funds. I mean, I, I don't think mm -hmm. ethical investing is going away. And certainly the way that major superannuation funds look at, uh, you know, put a very high weighting on ESG um, type issues. Uh, I don't, I don't think, I think that, that force is here forever. So I think as investors, we need to be cognizant of. So you do need to know what other people won't invest in. That's got to be one of the inputs you take into, uh, into consideration when you invest in a particular company. Yeah, very good and very ethical report from you then, Paul. That's Paul Rickard from the Switzer Report. And that was Paul Rickard from the Switzer Report. Now, just a little heads up. The Thursday Property Show is now going to be called the Investing and Property Show. And we'll be bringing a lot of investment tips from, for the market, for you. Uh, so make sure you join us. And we'll spotlight the major property story of the week as well. So make sure you join us on our YouTube channel on Thursday.